Good evening. You are listening to Independent Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. It's 6 o'clock and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Bay Area Congressman Eric Swalwell is feeling some heat due to his proposal to remove what he calls Russian oligarch children from the United States. California may become the first state to offer low-income immigrants health coverage. Valley Public Radio takes us to Fresno County to speak with some potential recipients. After local news and regional weather, Felton Pruitt chats with Jennifer Singer, the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth. We close tonight with a commentary by Shirley Frerichs. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. Bay Area Congressman Eric Swalwell is standing behind his proposal to remove some Russian students from the United States. He received backlash after saying students with ties to Vladimir Putin and Russian elites should be punished over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. About the only thing we can do, the most important thing we can do is to arm the Ukrainians, give them intelligence to take action against the Russians. Uh, but I would be surprised if any reasonable person thought that, you know, their empathy should be with oligarch children uh, rather than with the Ukrainian people. But many Russian Americans have ties to both countries and have voiced support for Ukrainians fleeing their country or staying to defend it. Meanwhile, the value of Russian currency continues to plummet in response to sanctions imposed by the U.S. and Europe. People with ties to the region here in California are busy organizing to help provide humanitarian aid. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with one Sacramento resident who's even using his business in Ukraine to help. Ben Navratsky is a realtor in Sacramento and has been watching the situation unfold in his native Ukraine, wondering about the safety of his friends, family, and loved ones. He says most of the people he knows in the western part of Ukraine have stayed to fight for their country, and he makes sure to check in with them daily. Navratsky says he's doing whatever he can to help, even using his glass processing factory in Ukraine. Whatever trucks we had, and we had um, some equipment that could be used for the military, we donated it. The trucks are being used to you know, deliver supplies and whatever is needed. His business is also providing materials for Ukrainians to build roadblocks in the area. Here in California, Navratsky is working with the Spring of Life Church in Sacramento to help raise funds for the immediate emergency and also to provide food and shelter for refugees and medical services for Ukrainian civilians who are injured in the fighting with Russia. He says he's proud of Ukrainians who are standing up to the attacks from Russia and the unity the country is showing. But he knows there may be darker days ahead. Right now, when they're, when they're getting desperate, they start bombing. From now on, the conflict is going to get more devastated, devastating. Much more refugees going to flee because we have a lot of civilian casualties within the last two days. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. You can find out more about how to donate at solsacramento.com. The Cal State University system is formally launching an independent investigation into how Fresno State University handled sexual harassment complaints against a former administrator.
The harassment allegations led to the recent resignation of CSU Chancellor Joseph Castro. He was the president at Fresno State and authorized a payout and retirement package to the school's former vice president of student affairs, who was the subject of multiple complaints of harassment and bullying. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. California could become the first state in the country to expand health coverage to all low-income immigrants. Right now, most undocumented adults still aren't eligible for Medi-Cal coverage, and that's forcing some families to make life-and-death decisions. Valley Public Radio's Madi Bolaño spoke to one of those families in Fresno County. Maria Guadalupe Toledo Mejia is rounding a ball of masa in her hands. She's making baleadas for her husband, Sergio. They moved their family here to Fresno County three years ago from Honduras. Sergio says they work in the fields. Primarily picking grapes, he says, but also wherever they'd send them, wherever there's work. But recently they stopped working. In late December, 42-year-old Sergio rushed to the hospital. He couldn't breathe. Doctors did a series of tests and told him he had to have open-heart surgery as soon as possible. But Sergio said no. He's undocumented and uninsured. He told the doctor he had no money for surgery. He told them to send him home. He'd rather die in his house. Lawmakers say Sergio's experience is a prime example of why the state needs to expand Medi-Cal to all Californians, regardless of immigration status. Assemblymember Joaquin Arambula was an emergency room doctor before he took office. Many people in our immigrant communities are fearful of seeking out health care if they do not have coverage. And when they put off care, their conditions get worse and worse. They end up in the ER when disease is harder to treat and where care is the most expensive. And it's costing you, the taxpayer, a fortune. Governor Gavin Newsom says expanding Medi-Cal coverage will save money in the long run. If you care not just about values and principles of morality, but if your only values and principles are advanced through economics, then that alone should be an argument in favor of universal health care. The campaign to expand Medi-Cal to all low-income, undocumented residents started nearly a decade ago. The state began by covering undocumented kids, then young adults, and this year people aged 50 and older will be able to sign up. Covering adults aged 27 to 49 would be the last step toward expanding insurance to all Californians. The California Republican Party did not approve of Newsom's overall budget proposal, describing it as woefully short on solutions for the problems plaguing Californians. Back in Fresno County, Lupita washes her hands before cleaning the wounds on Sergio's chest. He ended up going through with the heart surgery, but Lupita says they live in dread, waiting for the medical bill. They're lost, she says. They don't know if or when they are going to be charged for the follow-up appointments. 
porque la verdad sí sería de muchísima ayuda, créamelo. Doctors say Sergio will be out of work for at least five months. He says he hopes the Medi-Cal expansion is approved so that others won't have to go through what he's been through. For the California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños in Fresno. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks for listening. Today in a media Q&A, Dr. Sherilyn Cook, Nevada County's public health officer, addressed the idea that masks aren't effective. Masks were not done away with simply because they don't work. They do work. And one of the things is that as defined by the CDC, we still have high transmission in our community. It's definitely going the right direction. It's definitely coming down, but you know, COVID is still around. And I think masks still have an important role to play, particularly in settings where individuals don't have a choice per se to not be there. We're not mandating them in schools, but of course at schools you have immune compromised kids, you have kids that have health issues, asthma, et cetera, that put them at higher risk for COVID, and they don't have a choice to say, I'm not going to school. So we still are going to strongly recommend that they be warned. In the same meeting, she went on to address the new so-called stealth Omicron variant, BA2. It is a a COVID, a coronavirus, that is about 12.8% In our immediate region, it has not been identified in Nevada County yet, but it has been identified in neighboring counties. So it's definitely in the area. We suspect at some point that it will reach Nevada County. It appears to be more transmissible than Omicron 1, BA1. And there might be a slight immunity benefit, but the court is still out as to whether or not if you've had Omicron type 1 if it's going to give you a a significant amount of protection against BA2. It definitely is more contagious than BA1, Omicron type 1, but it doesn't seem to cause more severe disease. But again, just as Omicron didn't cause more severe disease than Delta, but it was so much more infectious that it spread everywhere. And that is the concern about the BA2 variant. So We're sort of having to have a wait and see right now with how it's going to go. But, you know, it's it's in our area. It has taken over countries like Denmark. It's on the increase in United Kingdom. And it's about, you know, like I said, 12.8 percent in our region. So that's definitely something we're keeping our eye on and we'll be keeping our eye on the numbers and the cases. In that same meeting, Dr. Glenna Trochet addressed the rumor that Nevada County overreports COVID-19 deaths. The other thing that we have heard a lot is that uh, public health in Nevada County overstates the number of deaths from COVID-19. And in fact, public health in Nevada County understates the number of deaths for COVID-19. There is actually a definition from the um, state and territorial epidemiologists of what a COVID death should be and how it should be counted. In Nevada County, we basically take what the physician that signs the death certificate says. So if the physician that signs the death certificate says that somebody died from COVID-19 or that it was a significant factor that caused their death, we count that death. If the doctor doesn't mention that, 
even if the person had tested positive for COVID-19, we do not count that death. So we actually probably undercount deaths in Nevada County. That will be corrected eventually by the state because they will follow the definition of what COVID-19 deaths are. But because we don't want to overstate it, we only report deaths where the death certificate lists it as a cause of death or a significant contributing factor. Moving now to a brief look at regional weather. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 45. Tomorrow, a 10% chance of showers after 4 p.m., then increasing clouds with a high near 63. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 29 degrees, tomorrow cloudy with a high near 52. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 45, tomorrow a 20% chance of showers after 3 p.m. Up next, Felton Pruitt talks with Jennifer Singer, the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth. We're talking with Jennifer Singer. She's the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth. Uh, thanks for speaking with us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So let's, uh, let's start by explaining exactly what Bright Futures for Youth is and the organizations it grew out of. Absolutely. So uh, the Friendship Club has been in our community since 1995, and our original mission was to work with girls at risk in our community, aged 11 to 18. I was a co-founder of that program back in 1995, and in 2005, NEO was born. And NEO was born out of um, a grant, and Lynn Skrutgerd and Hallie Ellis Edwards were you know, young people in our community. They saw the need for uh, more positive after-school activities in their community and really started events for youth around town, musical events. And then ultimately in 2005, which had become their goal, they opened the first ever youth center. So they ran that for uh, approximately 10 years or so. And then in the early days of the pandemic, um, we started talking. It seemed that both organizations had really seen an increased need for services of youth in our community. We had similar values while we had different models. And really, at the end of the day, we wanted the same for youth in our community. We wanted them to feel supported, connected, empowered, engaged. And so we started talking about what coming together would look like. In the meantime, the Friendship Club had launched a pilot program for youth experiencing homelessness. And uh, that is a growing challenge in our community, something that we're really uh, focused on supporting. And so between all three of those missions and taking different models and different approach to supporting youth aged 11 to 25 in our community, it just made sense that coming together would make us stronger, would make us more cohesive, um, more efficient, and that we could really accomplish more together. Um, So we set off to come together in early 2020. We took advantage of some quiet time through the early days of the pandemic when we really had to shut down a lot of our activities and formed a group of board and staff and community members to talk about what coming together would really look like. And that's how we ended up with Bright Futures for Youth, I assume. And that's how we are here. So um, in late 2020, we officially rebranded and became Bright Futures for Youth. 
So it's basically two or almost two and a half, three clubs merged into one now. Correct. So we have now our structure is that I'm the executive director. Um, Each program has its own model and activities and directors, um, but there's more fluidity. And that's something that we're looking at fluidity across programs. So some students may participate only in NEO programs or only in friendship club programs or only in the SAFE program. And some students will actually participate in all three, depending on their needs and uh, desire to connect. Is there one central location to get in touch with you folks? Is it just go to Bright Futures for Youth or are there still these three different subgroups? Um, no, we still are. We are one uh, website, for example, if you'd like to go learn more about all of our um, all of our offerings. So that's at BFFYouth.org. And there's an opportunity to learn uh, more deeply about each program, what the volunteer opportunities are in our organization, what our goals are and what our future plans are. Currently, we are in one location over on Lytton Drive, just past the Briar Patch. Friendship Club has been there since late uh, 2018. And so that is where we have our executive offices. That's where the Friendship Club meets. We have a commercial kitchen there, which is a very busy place because we're cooking meals for about 100, 150 youth per week. And then our next step is to renovate the old Silver Springs High School site, which is just past the fairgrounds. And that will become the home of the Neo Youth Center, as well as our SAFE program. Is there a phone number folks could uh, reach out to you with? Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. 530-265-4311. We love giving tours. We love having people come in to learn more about what we're up to, see if there's ways for you to be involved and contribute. I'm trying to remember the website was bffyouth.org. That's correct. Okay. It's very good. We've been talking with Jennifer Singer. She's the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth. Keep up the great work in our community. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. We close tonight with a commentary by Shirley Frerichs. Good news for those of us who care about recycling and want to do it right. A new law, SB 343, Truth in Labeling for Recyclable Materials, was passed in January that requires CalRecycle, Department of Resources Recycling and Recovery, to provide information to the public to evaluate whether a product or packaging is certifiably recyclable. Specifically, the bill prohibits the use of the chasing arrow symbol or other misleading statements that a material is recyclable unless the product or packaging meets the criteria for statewide recyclability. CalRecycle will determine which materials are truly recyclable and will publish a list of acceptable materials by January 2024 that may continue to have the chasing arrow symbol. Paper, metal, and glass recyclability are pretty clear when you're making a buying decision, with a few exceptions. Paper boxes coated with plastic film are rendered unrecyclable. Glass bottles encased with plastic are not recyclable. However, figuring out the plastic packaging is a bit more confusing. There are seven kinds of plastic, and at the moment, only ones and twos, which are usually water and drink bottles, can be reliably recycled and sold to be reprocessed for another use, which is the name of the game for the hauler. They need to recoup expenses. But then there are the three through seven containers, each made of a different polymer, 
which are usually not recyclable because there are few facilities that can reprocess them at the moment. The good news is that new reprocessing methods are being invented. Some packaging may say it's compostable. The truth is that most of them are only compostable under very high heat at a special facility. It will not compost in your pile and actually can give off toxins into your good stuff. Nor in the landfill. Plastic gives off methane in a landfill as it degrades, and it never really goes away. It just breaks down into smaller and smaller microplastics that get into food and water and into our bodies. Good news, there are some new materials that are plant-based and will compost in your pile, but you need to ask to make sure. Many thanks to Nevada City Farmers Market for finding them to offer. And there are even now truly compostable doggy doo-doo bags. Back to truth and labeling. Unfortunately, there's a lot of greenwashing going on to dupe the public into thinking they are doing a good thing to buy that product. But can it really be sold and reprocessed into a new product? That's the bottom line of recycling. The new certifications will make that clear. But still, in order to sell it, the material must be clean. No food or drink left in it or on it. (laughs) Food or drink are considered contamination. A banana peel thoughtlessly flipped into the recycle bin could make the whole bin unreprocessable. Trash or green waste in a recycle bin makes it all unrecyclable. Recyclables in a plastic bag negates your effort. Facility sorters cannot deal with a plastic bag. So off it goes to landfill. Help is on the way, and in the meantime, please make it a habit to see what it says on the package and avoid what is unrecyclable. There are usually recyclable alternatives. You can buy bulk, reuse, refill. Refill is a very cool thing because you don't need to buy another plastic jug. You just keep taking it off to to the Gaia store and refill it. And vow not to take another plastic bag. They go straight to the landfill. Unless you take them to Safeway and Savemart boxes where they will go to reprocessing. Thank you for paying attention to the Recycle Right guidelines from Waste Management, which are further detailed on the Nevada County Climate Action Now Waste Not webpage under Recycling. And for the good of our earth and all that lives upon it, thank you for thinking before you toss that banana peel. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. And that's our newscast for this evening, Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. You can listen to it again and check out all of our previous stories on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from generous listeners and from businesses like Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC, providing outpatient ophthalmic surgical procedures, interventional pain management, also surgeries of the foot and ankle since 2006. Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center on Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, sasconline.com. And all-phase heating and air conditioning, family-owned and operated for over 20 years. 
reminding listeners of the importance of servicing heating and filtration systems. Located on South Auburn Street in Grass Valley. AllFaceComfort.com Stay with us. Coming up at 6.30, we bring you the sages among us. And then at 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for supporting independent community media. I'm Claudio Mendoza. We'll see you right here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.